Welcome back, everyone. Henry and I are in Charlotte, North Carolina. We are in North Carolina. North Cadillac. We are in North Cadillac in the city of Charlotte. And um, very cool attending a young adult conference out here. And as a result, we've had the opportunity to um, talk with a few people that weren't originally on our episode calendar but they, I am certain that they would have ended up here. They would have had to No be. matter what. And so we've got some more spontaneous style uh, conversations coming your way. And But um, continuing our story series about coming back to faith. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, the whole point of this show is to focus kind of on that reconstructive journey that of putting your faith back together, whether that was after leaving it completely or simply just um, struggling with it and wrestling with it and being angry at God or whatever that, that looked like. Um, everyone has some version of that story, even if they're still in the deconstructive phase of it, but there is still some version of that story, I think. And, um, so we want to speak to that. And so what we've created is kind of a mini series within the show called the return and, uh, where we feature different people and their stories and see what we can learn from them and see, uh, and just, you know, I, I, I firmly believe in the power of stories. I think we need more of, I need, think we need to hear more of them. Yep. And I think there's so much resonating that happens, um, you know, so much that people can resonate with when a story is shared. And so um, fully understanding that not every story is something that everyone will resonate with. So we hope that um, if you're someone who's in similar shoes to our wonderful guest, that you will um, that this is this will be a powerful episode for you. But our guest today is Kim Cove. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And uh, she specifically, and we're all going to be educated right this second. Yes, get uh, out of our drain damage. She's, she specifically warned me under threat of a gun point. Not really. Not at, actually. Oh, she did not minute. actually have a gun pointed at me. Um, but she, she did specifically warn me not to introduce her as a counselor. So, Kim, what is the difference... No, really. What is the difference? Is the yeah, difference that's a real. A, that's a real question. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, well, generally speaking, a counselor is more surface oriented and provides um, their clients with coping skills, whereas a therapist will dig deeper um, into the pains and trials of childhood and all <laughs> the, all the things, and um, kind of bring a healing rather than coping. Gotcha. So okay. we, we tend to dig deeper. In the long run, we all kind of do the same thing. However, my degree is a therapy degree, so I am called a therapist. So it's, it's yeah. more like an ethical thing that we need to call our, I need to correct when people call me a counselor. Gotcha. It's, it's not what I am. Um, so one thing that I'm really excited about what you do um, is that you? You're here. A lot of your career is basically listening, and today we get to put you in the hot seat <laughs> and, and get you to talk, talk yeah. for the majority it's of the really show. It's really going to be hard because uh, so I'm be, going to want to deflect right back on you. I know you will. And um, we are not going to. Let yeah, you. we're walls up, Henry. Um, <clears throat> the no, okay. So you are involved in a podcast of your own. Yes, and I am excited for it to release. It is unreleased at the time we're recording this, but uh, it is coming out very soon, and we'll have. Links to it in the show notes we'll have. So you can go check it out. And if you are listening, hit pause, go subscribe, and then come back and finish Good plan. Uh, finish playing this episode. But Kim, go ahead and tell us about your podcast. What's it called? What is the purpose of it? And yeah, all that good stuff. Okay. It's called Joy in the Weeds. And uh, my co-host, Beth, and I, well, actually, I like to make the joke. And I call her the Joy and I'm the Weeds. Because uh, she just goes through life like always happy and joyful. And I kind of like lean towards the suffering of life. <laughs> you and, you, um, you're in good company you with know, me. I just kind of, I mean, that's what I do for a living that, you know, so yeah. whatever. Anyway, what we're wanting to convey to people is you life is not one or the other. We will have sorrow in one hand and we can hold joy in the other. So it's more, rather than being so dualistic in our thinking, Mm -hmm. We can walk through life and we can find joy. Yeah. Um, and, and when we are joyful, we don't have to uh, neglect the weeds. Hmm. 
and the struggles of life. So that's what it's all about. Awesome. So stop listening to this episode, go listen to them and then come back, hit that subscribe button, or at least download an episode so you can play it later. Uh, But I am very excited about that podcast. We laugh a lot. It is so much fun. Good. Um, Good. I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. uh, Because I like laughing, um, which is sad because I never tell funny jokes. So well, we just leave kidding. that. We leave I, that to Henry. I tell puns. no. Henry's even worse. <laughs> um, I tell jokes to make me laugh, not others laugh. I do them for my <laughs> satisfaction. Um, Henry, stop laughing. That was for my own satisfaction. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, but Kim, I'm excited to hear your story mainly because I haven't been able to hear it yet. I haven't had a chance to um, because we keep crossing paths in very limited, mm-hmm. uh, limited windows of time, where both of our uh, both of our attentions are split. Mm-hmm. However. Um, very much like uh, like your co-host Beth, um, you've probably heard more of my story than <laughs> I yours. Um, well, and I have listened to your podcast. See, so yes, exactly. Sir. So I am I am excited to hear yours. Um, very much so. And so let's. I think it's a good time to jump right into it. Um, so Kim, walk us through uh, kind of the beginning of what you would consider your journey through faith, and um, yeah. Just the the origin story. The origin. The origin. The origin okay, story. Like, seriously, this starts at the beginning. My okay. faith Genesis journey. Genesis one. Bring it on. No, I'm serious. My faith journey starts in utero. Okay, I'm in. My <laughs> my <She's> mother <laughs> was baptized into the Seventh Day Adventist Church when she was five months pregnant with me. And never too young to be baptized. Never everyone, too Never too young. Get them in there early. <laughs> so she actually, um, very sweetly has always said that, uh, she believes that God has put an extra blessing on me because of that. Hmm. Um, I, I have always been a Jesus girl. Um, and it was not until really late in my life where the, I'm going to use my own language, my own weeds, which created a way of me being in my faith, um, had to fall away so that I could really have faith. So I guess before the, before you, I, I don't want to say before the weeds, but before you noticed weeds were weeds, right? right. Uh, I guess would be a good way to say that. What, what was kind of your... Um, what was life like for you or what, what, how did you interact with your faith? Anything like that? Was, I interact with my faith. Yeah. I just did what I was told. Well, okay. Yeah, perfect, right. That's, <laughs> that's, the, yeah, that's very Seriously, yeah. I did. I did what I was told. Mm. If we, if, you know, I was obedient to my, I never didn't cause any waves. I was not rebellious. I was obedient. I did everything that I was supposed to do. Gotcha. So, and, I guess that was enough up to a point. Uh, yes. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, so, uh, I guess at what point did, um, what were some of the warning signs? Do you think looking back on it or at what point did that start to change or did you start to, or did you start to like the, the cracks in the, in the wall, so to speak? Well, let me, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give more context. Perfect. <laughs> totally fine I, with that. Do not do perfect. <laughs> I t- we will get there later. Yes. But I don't do perfect anymore. Mm. <laughs> um, my, my my parents were d- divorced just before I turned six years old. Um, so I lived with a single mother for until I was eleven. So from for about five years. Then at eleven, my mother remarried, and. Um, there was, uh, it was a volatile home. Mm. Um, there was lots of fighting. There was lots of arguments. And so with the, with, with not having a dad in my life, um, and living very fearfully for the decade that I was at home from 11 to 20 till I got married, um, I learned that the best thing to do was to be compliant, to be silent because I couldn't, I couldn't make waves. There were enough waves. Mm. So it was very, very important to just do what I was told to just do the best I knew how, um, be the good girl, Mm -hmm. um, in, in, um, 
alcoholic circles and, and yep. I was the family hero. Were you, were you an only child or do you have siblings? No, I have an older brother. Um, and when, uh, I guess I was nine, I was nine and he started stealing as a cry. Mm-hmm. And then he went to live with my father. So then we were separated. I was with my mother and he was with my father. And, um, and then when my mom remarried, when I was 13, I, I got a baby sister, Gotcha. which was, I loved having a baby sister. Mm -hmm. And because our home was so, um, chaotic and difficult, the responsibility, a lot of, I felt a lot of responsibility in caring for her. Mm. So I was a very responsible child. I got good grades. I didn't cause any trouble. I, I was not, my teenage years, I, I was, there was no rebellion. I was going to ask, no what, was, what was the most rebellious thing that you would say out of all of the compliant and good things you've done? What was the worst? Oh, that, that's easy. Um, I wanted to stay with a boy after school when I was uh, 15, 16. So I missed the first bus uh, and had to and stayed for the second bus so that I could, that was, that, that was the worst thing I'd ever done. Such rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get caught? Oh yeah. Cause I wasn't home. Cause my mother was angry mm. <laughs> with yeah. me for not being home. Mm. I never did it again. Mm. Gotcha. Now, now I don't know if this is going to have any deeper bearing to the story. I don't know, but I'm just curious. You, you talked about not having a father figure. Mm-hmm. And then when one comes into the picture, it's not good. Mm-mm. And you have an older sibling that's crying out for help and then mm-hmm. ends up with your, your mm-hmm. dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the divorce happened, was, was it your mother who left your no. father? Or was it your father who kind of walked out? So you got this feeling of, for whatever reason, he's Ab- left. Abandonment. Yeah. Okay. No, he left. He, ha- he, he was having an affair. Um, and I was the one who told my mother that he was having an affair. Um, there's, and, that is such a loaded statement. I'm not going to make you unpack. I, I'm no, not going to make you unpack. I, I'm, yeah. I'm happy like, to unpack that. That is a loaded statement. No, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with unpacking that. Um, my father took me to the restaurant where this young woman was and they shared a cigarette. So I came home and as a child would having a conversation yeah, say, don't realize that that's what that here. is. Daddy shared a cigarette with mm-hmm. this woman. And that's when my mother knew that. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Now, so now, now because of that, maybe that's continuing the unpacking okay. thing is, did you at all at that age blame yourself for them then splitting? Because in a sense, cause you communicated that you outed your father in a sense and then everything goes down and then you end up in a seemingly worse situation. Did, was there any point where you're like, well, because I was disobedient and didn't hold that to myself or because I ratted it out. Now am I responsible for all of this? And this is another reason I can't stand up for myself. I have to be compliant and just take it because I deserve this. Was there any, at the time? No. Um, my parents, uh, were very good about not, uh, criticizing the other. Mm -hmm. Um, my mother's uh, explanation was your father is a good, good man. And she would call him a wet noodle. So so he didn't have a backbone. So he wasn't going to do the right thing. Quote unquote. Uh, he would give you the shirt off his back. If it was the last one he had, he mm-hmm. would do anything for anybody. Uh, we have a, a joke in our family where there's a Willie, there's a way his name is Willie. And I mean, he would do anything for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was very clear that he was responsible for his affair. Um, as I got older and I understood, you know, the dynamics of systems theory and relationships, I could see things differently. Um, however, to your question there, a few years ago, I was doing some EMDR therapy, which is very intense therapy. It's called, it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, and in that process, one of the ideas that came to me was 
I lost everybody and it's all my fault hmm. because mm. I had not remembered. And, yeah. and I was taken to that memory because EMDR is very about, about really core memories. And I had no idea. I had no idea that that was actually a fundal, fundamental belief that I carried mm. that I lost my dad because he left. I lost my mother because she was now a single mother and had to do all the things. And I lost my brother to his own anger and his own pain. Mm. So I lost everybody and it was all my fault. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I came back around at some point, I guess. But, um, so broken home for lack of a better phrase i tend to be pretty blunt when i oh it's like, broken yeah broken um, home went with the parents divorce and broken when mm -hmm. with the re with the remarriage yeah. it's well, just as broken and i understand like i don't i've come to the point too where i don't think anyone doesn't live in some sort of broken home yes yeah, i mean my home wasn't broken until i learned it was right right like right suddenly there was just one year right, where something one day when something happened and i realized oh i've been living in a broken home for a while yeah but i just was the only one out of the loop yeah, you just right. say that it's yeah. normal to you because you grow up in right. it. Right, exactly. Just think, well, this is what's supposed to be exactly. normal. Yeah, I, I hear these these comments on like social media is only the highlight reel and you know, you don't see anyone's real story. And and yet, man, when I look at friends growing up, people growing up, I used to think that everyone else had a perfect life and not me. Mm -hmm. Social media is not the only place where comparison mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. And it was a big realization to me learning even now what um like there are, there are friends that I've known, people I've known since kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And because when you grow up in a small private education system, mm -hmm. you tend to, there's two people specifically that I grew up literally all the way through college with. And, but there was a, there was a girl I know who I found out stuff about sexual abuse literally less than a year ago that suddenly make a whole lot of things make kind sense. of make sense. And mm -hmm. she made sense of those things in her, uh, in her post coming out about that. But I, just the number of people that are around that are really able to put up the same kind of front that they would on social media, that's a real, just a person problem. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm to the point that I'm just like, yeah, everyone probably has a broken home. Yes. Um, and that's not a good thing, but at the same time, it's it a is, a, it does change the way you communicate with people too. If mm -hmm. you have some sort of operating or MO that mm -hmm. says, yeah, we're probably all operating from some place of, mm -hmm. of that. Well, and it, can, and it can help when we all recognize that to help deal with shame. Mm -hmm. because so many times what happens is you think once you start realizing something's out of whack, out off kilter, you go, well, even if other people have it, mine's got to be pretty bad or worse and something, mm -hmm. you know, and then we don't deal with it because mm -hmm. we're just filled with that kind of shame. And if we all realize, no, 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 it's, it's sad that it is normal, but in the world today, it's, it's the brokenness is sadly normal. So right. if it's, it's, it's normal, right. It, it, you can talk about it. You can go get help. You don't right. have to just sit in it. Yeah. It's not right. like you're the worst one that just ended up in that situation. Yeah. So you were in this home until you said you were, until you got married? I was married? 20 mm -hmm, yeah, when I okay. got married. So um, I guess, yeah. Now back to that question before you gave context, like where, where was the, I want to say where was the, the downturn, but when was what you were doing? When mm. did that become not enough? At the, does that make sense? Yeah. Not until I was 42. 40 or 42. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so we'd have to skip a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We just hit fast forward. Uh, <laughs> and congratulations. Yeah, Thank you for listening to our podcast. Yeah, exactly. here, here's why that context is important. Yeah. The, the, the issues is what we call them. The abandonment and the fear created in me was I have to be good. If I am not good, then everybody's going to leave me. I have mm. to do whatever I can to keep myself safe. So the beliefs I had about God were, okay, yeah, I know in my head that I'm saved by grace, but I better be good enough to make him happy that he saved me. Mm. Because if I'm not good, then he's going to throw me away hmm. or wow. he's not going to speak to me or he's like, he's going to give me the silent treatment. He's going to turn his back on me, whatever it was, I had to be good hmm. in order for God to love me. So what were, what were some of the things that you did during that time? Now, granted, you probably, you didn't realize this really uh -uh. until you were 40. Mm -hmm. So how, how did that manifest itself in, I guess, relationships, friendships, marriage? I mean, you name it. What were some of the things that that manifested in? 
or e- what every, ways? There, well, I had to have the perfect grades. I had to see, this is where the perfect comes yes. in. I had to have the perfect grades. I had to be the perfect daughter. I had to be the perfect wife. I had to be the perfect mother. I had to be perfect everywhere. Mm. So there was, there was no room for error. There was no room for mistakes. If there was a mistake, um, I was the worst, most horrible human being on the face of this earth. Mm. And uh, what I know now, back to what you were saying about shame, perfectionism is a numbing agent of shame. Mm-hmm. So some people, they feel the shame, they go to drugs, alcohol, relationships, whatever. I went to perfectionism gotcha. so that I could numb out the bad feelings about myself be yeah. perfect and then I wouldn't feel my shame, which it doesn't mm. work. Yeah. And one of the things I've learned about perfectionism, um, and this is this is from friends of mine who that I know of don't have the same root from their of their perfectionism. They don't they don't have its root in the same things, but just the idea that when you are perfect in all these outward behaviors, if there is ever a moment of weakness or where you are imperfect, suddenly it's compounded because everyone has always expected a certain level mm-hmm. of something. And then mm-hmm. that just, it it's changes. a vicious cycle, mm-hmm. right? That just, it's just this vicious cycle mm-hmm. of reinforcement of, mm-hmm. see, this is what happens when I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. Now I didn't get that from my husband because he is, he is God's faithfulness in my life. Mm. Um, and she's not just saying that because he's in the room. <laughs> yeah, not at all. No, he, he is, he is, he, when Isaiah tells us that we will get a double portion of what we have lost, he is my double portion. Mm. Um, I did, and I, I don't want to shame my mother. So this is, I, I don't want people to hear this. And if she's listening, right, I can... don't want her to hear this because I don't want her to be in pain because right. she was doing the best she knew how. Yeah. yeah, we can still love people while still having a healthy understanding of their own brokenness. Mm-hmm. And when I would veer off the path of, of being perfect, the perfect daughter, um, the response was the silent treatment Mm. and the silent treatment equals abandonment. And that is intolerable. I cannot tolerate, I can't tolerate the silent treatment. Like, yeah, it feels like they're leaving. I I, I just can't. I go into such a stress panic mode when I, I feel abandoned. It's weird. I relate to that, but not in the, I don't know if it'd be in the same way, but sim- from specifically from a specific trauma from a past relationship, but mm. it, what my, the anxiety that I get comes to, if someone doesn't respond to me, not because they're giving me the silent treatment, though I do, if someone doesn't respond to me via text, phone call, whatever, within a certain amount of time, and it used to be a specific amount of time, that I could almost, I could literally probably hold a stopwatch at one point in that relationship and tell you if she didn't respond after this minute, something was wrong. Wow. And uh, so it, it, it very much is a thing now where I have to remind myself if someone doesn't respond quick enough that no, I, haven't, I don't need to go into a panic of what have I done wrong and how do I need to start defending myself. Um, and it turns out that in most of those cases, even as I look back on it, I never did anything wrong, but mm-hmm. anger from other situations was being thrown at, mm-hmm. was being projected onto mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but very much like that, that is something that I dealt with, um, in my late teens that now, mm-hmm. um, at, you know, 27 years old is still, mm-hmm. um, is still sticking with me. So I, I understand that the, the panic though, mm-hmm. not for the same reasons, right, and perhaps right, not yeah, even at the same right. volume. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Cause I was the reverse in something similar. I used to, I'd had relationships where I would be in trouble if I didn't respond fast enough. Mm. And mm. that's something I still deal with. And, and it was really hard even in ministry because people would send me something and I would be needing to do something else, or I was in the middle of something. And then I had lost focus. I couldn't focus anymore because as long as that thing wasn't responded to, I was about to mess up. That was the that was the feeling I had. If I don't immediately respond, I'm going to get in trouble. They're going to assume I don't care, or they're going to do it. And it was almost like an obsession. I just I had to speed on and send the send the reply. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, that makes sense. I it it is it is interesting how close to the surface a lot of these issues are, and just we would never know if we never. <laughs> If we never just the set, yeah, right. If we never created the space for conversations mm-hmm. like this, like Henry, I didn't know that about you. I don't mm-hmm. know if you knew that about me. 
Um, Kim, neither of us knew that about you. Maybe you did. I don't know. You've had more, you've had more intentional interactions with her than I have. Um, I, I, I have. And this is what's kind of really weird to be on the opposite side of, of the listening. Because for those of you who know, we talk about therapy a lot. But I'm really super excited that Kim is on this because, you know, spoiler alert, Kim is actually my personal therapist. And I'm in so much better shape now than I was because of her therapy you know, skills and her heart and listen, and she's been able to dig in some pretty big weeds in my life not to help me understand why I was doing what I was doing, why coping mm-hmm. mechanisms don't work and, and, and to find value and, and, and healing in that way. So normally she's having to sit there listening to me run my mouth. Yeah. So it, it's, it's fascinating to be on the other side and, and just get to hear her heart. And it gives you, it gives you kind of a lot of hope too, because you're like, wow, you know, it, it's, broken kind of helping the broken it kind of it kind of reminds me of the old irish tale where they say there was this guy walking down the road and he fell into this huge hole like 10 foot hole and he looked around and he couldn't find his way out it was just a big hole he didn't know he fell in and he looked up and all of a sudden he saw this this doctor running by and he was like you know help help i've fallen in this hole and i can't get out you know and the doctor said is that you and he goes yes sir and he says oh and he wrote a prescription and tossed it in the hole and Mm. kept going and he goes, what? and he waits, and all of a sudden the priest comes by, and he goes, Father McClarty, Father McClarty, help, help, falling in the hole, I can't get out. And he goes, oh, my son, and he says a prayer for him and walks off. And he goes, what? And all of a sudden he looks up, and he sees one of his friends walking by, and he goes, he goes, George, help, falling in the hole, and I can't get out. And his friend looked around and jumped in the hole with him. And he goes, you stubborn McClue, what's your problem? Why would you jump down here? Now we're both in this hole. And he goes, oh, I know, my friend, but I've been in this hole before, and I know the way out. Mm. Um, and that's, that's honestly, when I start hearing stories like this, it reminds me that Kim and your own ministry towards me and so many countless others, it's like, wow, the reason you're able to do this is not just because you know everything. I mean, or you've gotten training and I don't think you come across as knowing everything, even though you're extremely intelligent, it's, you've been in the hole yeah, and you, you know, the way out. And so it's just, it's just exciting to have you on the program and be listening to this. I'm learning some things and listening to your journey and even more things that you've probably been trying to get me to understand for a while, even clicking while I'm listening to it, like, oh, like the perfectionism thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. I know, I know this is very awkward for Kim. We need to move on. <laughs> she's already said she's, you know, she's bound by confidentiality rules and stuff. And so when I start talking about stuff we've talked about, she's, she's like, like, I can't react oh, to any of yeah, this. Yeah, no, she can't. She's like, I must be stoic, you know, but anyway, so let's, let's move on. Just but say, yeah, I had a, pay, I had a client who, and then we <laughs> yeah, just yeah, never, and everybody will know she's uh, talking about me. On no, this okay. Episode. No. So. At what point did that, did the perfectionism start to fall apart? You said, I know it with the age, but right. how did it, how, what was that process? How did it actually begin to, to fall apart? Okay. Um, the beginnings of the cracks were when I was in graduate school. Um, uh, we were, we were all tested with, I think it was the, the 16 PF. Is that what it's called? I think, is that the Myers-Briggs one? No, no, it's, the, there's a six, anyway, there's one that's got 16, it's the, the number 16, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Anyway, we took this test, <laughs> and we were all evaluated. Um, oh, and interestingly enough, um, I went to grad school when my son, um, who is our youngest child, was in grade two. So I went to grad school, and I was in my mid-30s already. Mm. Everybody else in the room was 10 years, was really the age of my sister. So they were 10 to 13 years younger than I was. And this is grad school for therapy? For marriage and family therapy, yes. So I went to grad school and so I did this test and my teachers strongly suggested (laughs) that I go to a therapist because what the test revealed was that I fake good because I was too good to be true on this test. I was like, I'm not, I don't fake good. I am that good. But, but do you see that was the perfectionism? There was no room for being flawed in any way. So I went, I made an appointment with one therapist and that didn't work out. My teachers made me go to her and say, we're not working out. I'm getting a new one. That was awful. It was awful. So I emailed. It's okay to get a therapist that works for you, by the way. Yes. Well, yes, that's true. And there are many, there are people who, who have left me because 
it was the right not fit. a good fit and yeah. that's, and that's fine. okay yeah. that is fine so we're gonna host a beautiful faith uh speed dating to find your therapist <laughs> uh you yeah. get you get five minutes to sit down with a therapist find out and then we hit ring a bell and if you find one you like you just stay there i actually do it i will do a 15 to 30 minute consultation for free oh, to okay. see if my client if, it if it's a yeah. good yeah. fit it always works in my favor. It, well, um. <laughs> yeah, but no, but it, no, I mean, it is true because I know the only other experience with therapy I'd had much earlier in my life, my parents just chose someone and sent me and I did right. not get along with them right. at all. Mm-hmm. And it just made more walls and was counterproductive because I just left going, see, therapy doesn't work. Right. And then it's when I ran into somebody, I was like, oh, right. it's just different people and right. personalities. And, and yeah. mm-hmm. my personal view on parents sending their teenagers to therapy it's the parents that need the therapy. A kid's, a, a teenager does not have a cooked brain yet. They don't have any insight. They're just being a kid. Yeah, we're just cooking up mischief. Yeah, so. Stop it, Henry. <laughs> so that's my opinion on, on that. No, no mm. condemnation or criticism of your parents. Right, right. That has been my experience. Mm. Like, don't, don't put your kids. Well, it almost this. seems like, yeah, if, if there are issues that that kid has, well, the per- people they've spent the most time with are their parents. And so it's likely that the fixing of that issue it, or right. whatever those issues are needs to include the parents. Right. Although, it needs, to be fair, at it the very been... least, it needs to include them or it just needs to be them. Yeah, because yes. it's almost a cry for help from the parents. Like right. we don't know what to do with them because right. it's, it's Or not they resolving. could be just being a normal kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, I mean, because yeah. in, the, in the context of, of the church that I am part of, that some families can be very rigid and a kid is being a normal kid, yeah. and then that's a problem for the parents. Now, now backing up really quick because we were talking about this test and you know this yes. perfection, all that. But this yes. is ha- this test is happening while you're in graduate school yes. to be the therapist helping people. Yes, right. So two kind of questions, maybe they're intertwined. One. When did you know you wanted to pursue therapy? Oh, and then two, I love that story. <laughs> oh, excellent. Good, good. Because that might be, you might want the, the joy before this weed yeah. that, that's coming in. And the, and the thing is, okay, that, that's part of the story. But then second of all, with that being your passion, how did it feel to be pursuing that passion in a mindset of perfectionism and then oh. hit while you're pursuing While, while you're pursuing the yeah. thing you feel that you want to do or called to do, or we're going to learn about that story, to then have them be like, uh, no, you need to take advantage of the very thing you're, you're studying because you don't have it together. <laughs> well, that's not a problem yeah. for me. I am currently in therapy yeah. because issues have, a, have arisen, have arose, have whatever the proper yeah. term is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I practice what I preach. So as things have come up in my life, I have been in therapy. The first time I went to therapy, I was 21 years old. Um, and I have been uh, in and out on and off because they arrive. The, they just, it's not that we don't deal with them in the moment. The same issue will come back mm-hmm. and it will manifest, manifest itself in a different way. Yeah. And so you get the healing. Yes. I got the healing from the quote unquote abandonment issues when I was 35 Mm-hmm. And now that I'm 52 and they're raising their ugly heads again in a different way, I'm dealing, I have, I need to go again. I need to sort this out. Yeah. And just have to point so out, I like folks, if a therapist can get a therapist, right. you can get a therapist. That's right. right. I'm done. Um, back I've to, also, back I've to actually, <laughs> one of my, some of my favorite clients are therapists. I have, I have been the therapist of therapists. Mm. And that is like, that is so funny because do we they call know that circular reasoning. They, yeah. they know, they know, they, they know what's happening. They know what's That's happening. So hard for and me. the conversation, excuse me, is so deep uh, that it's actually hard to take notes. I've got to tickle my throat. I, I can only imagine when you all know where things are going or whatnot, you can skip a whole lot oh, of yeah. time on other stuff and just yeah. go straight just to give, like, get yep. the shovel and the holes deep real fast. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So, so back to back the to when you knew you wanted back to to the uh, perfectionism thing, or what? oh no, that yeah, yeah. That's, well, okay, we're that, taking that, a side that, story. Yeah, we're taking a side story <laughs> to know why you wanted to pursue this, okay. and then we're going to get to the so, test result. Um, so I have a, um, a bachelor of social work degree. 
that, that I got when Tim and I were first married. Um, he, he actually put me through school um, and I got a bachelor of social work degree because people are fascinating. Psychology type things are fascinating. I want to help people. That's been my motivation. Well, then, you know, we're, we're married. I have my degree and then we had children and I was going to stay home with them. Um, so then when it's time, so our, our, our daughter is three and a half years older than our son. So there's a, there's a big chunk of time from the birth of our first child to our second child going to school. Now I was going to go when he went to grade one, but he was not ready for grade one. He was, so we did, we did quote unquote homeschool. Apparently it wasn't done right (laughs) because there's no record of him doing grade one. Um, But it doesn't matter. So he would do some school and then he would go play for the rest of the day because he was a little boy and that's what little boys need to do. So it was when he was in grade two and I was like, okay, so I have a bachelor of social work. The obvious thing to do would be to get a master's degree in social work. So we lived in a town that was 30 miles away from a university. And I went online and I went to their social work program and I looked up a master of social work degree, which I would have gotten in a full year. It would have been 12 months. I would have had it. However, the problem was that it was agency based, which means it's policy. It's more big picture. It's, it's, it's not what I would do well with or what I would even want to do. And I'm like, Oh great. Now what am I going to do? So I, I was sitting at the computer and I thought, well, what do I love? I love my family. So lo and behold, there is family and child studies at this university. And I'm like, okay, let me look at what they have. And then marriage and family therapy pops up. Mm. And then I read all the criteria in the classes for marriage and family therapy. And I said, that is what I want to do. You know, so that's how I got there. It's interesting. And I don't, I don't want to speak something into your life that, you know, I don't, it's not necessarily that I want to assume, but I will say this, um, almost in every situation where I've met a marriage and family pastor, Mm. um, their marriage and family has somehow fallen apart or is fall, is falling apart like in, behind like the, in the now their yeah current? in the now yeah oh not mine um <laughs> no but this is what i'm saying like every single almost every single one that i've met um anyone that i can think of off the top of my head right yeah. now has either been through, like someone's a marriage and family pastor and they're going through a divorce or they mm, go through a divorce so or sad. um kids run away or you know things like that right everyone that i can think of in that boat it, it, and i'm like um it's almost like why 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 are we putting pastors in this position um who weren't specifically trained in this mm. way do, do you know mm-hmm. what i mean like mm-hmm. i don't want to be a marriage and family pastor because mm. that's not the that's not my lane mm-hmm. um and mm. i say that saying this and this is why i don't want to say i'm speaking something in your life that what i don't want to assume one thing is true over another i'm just saying this is the most comfortable i have felt a, a Friendship with you is the most comfortable I've felt with anyone with the title marriage and family X. Yeah. (laughs) Period. Um, If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's because I have a confidence in the training you've had, the education you've had and otherwise. Like, yeah, I know that's a weird aside, Mm. but um, that that is one of my biggest concerns for people in ministry is being in lanes that that we really shouldn't be in. Mm -hmm. Right. And so Um, speaking of that confidence and just knowing you were in the lane you needed to be, you took this test. And they go, you're faking it. Well, the test said that. Yes. And so they sent me to therapy and then I had the one and I had, and when I, uh, one of my, uh, one of the ladies that went to school with me, what are those called? Classmates. That's what they're called. Uh, (laughs) Nice. Her husband, her husband, they got that one. So you won't hear him, but he's, he was like classmates. So one of my classmates was talking about her therapist and he sounded phenomenal because he was really pushing her and challenging her and she was growing. And I'm like, well, that's what I want. I want to grow. I want to change. I want to be better. (laughs) Perfectionism. (laughs) Um, So I made an appointment with him and I sent him an email. There were two sentences in this email. The longest sentence was five words long. And I used the word perfect three times in that email. I sat down in his, in, in his office and he said, his first words to me were, so what's with all this perfection? 
And so that is where the perfectionism started cracking and started eroding. And, Mm. and it was not until this is the craziest thing. It was not until I spilled tofu water in the fridge that I cried. Mm. I cannot live like this anymore. I had put my hand in the fridge to get something and I had a half a block of tofu that was soaking in some water and it was not covered. My husband, Tim, was doing dishes or something in the kitchen. I knocked it over and spilled water all over the fridge. I cleaned it up. I went to the bedroom and started bawling, Mm. saying, Poor Tim didn't know what was going on. He came to the, he came to the bedroom and he, he crouches down and he looks at me and he's like, what's wrong? And I said, I can't live like this anymore. And he's like, are you leaving me? What are you talking about? <laughs> oh man, that would freak me out. I yeah, have no I, new respect for Tim. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Um, so, not crazy, crazy. I mean, no, but like just that whole moment. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, I can buy you more tofu. <laughs> I, just, I just want to say the the millennial in me. <laughs> Tim is shaking his head. Yes, if I yes. if I wrote that email, the millennial in me like panicked at the moment you 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 mentioned the moment of uh, of the email and then him sitting down and saying, "So what's with all this perfection?" Because mm. millennials hate being read like a book. Oh, um, dude, oh. I, and I honestly I, think good therapists somehow I. And that's fine, Kim, if you will want to deny this. I honestly think Kim knew what my problem was within about five minutes of talking Mm -hmm. to me. But she had to get me there by going through several things. And by the time I got there, I was like, there's no way she didn't know about this like five sessions ago. I I read this book and understand you or whatever or anything like that. Um, (laughs) I'm like, no, no, there's no way. Because I feel like I didn't get the chance to tell my story. Not realizing that the way you live your life and those little things it's are telling, telling your story. Um, the, the, but I would have run in that moment. I would have I would have walled up and and took off in that moment if mm. if I was seen like that. Because um, I've mastered the art of being transparent without being transparent mm. to people that aren't trained to identify that. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, the fact that <laughs> you stayed. Um, I hope I haven't gotten to that part yes, yet. Yes, I we, did. A year and a half. We keep... We are falling for the trap we said we wouldn't yeah. at the beginning of this thing where we were doing a lot of the talking. Man, it's fine. A year a year and a half, I worked... He and I worked together and really dissected and, and there was a... Um, if perfectionism was shackles on my feet and hands, he freed my hands. Hmm. But my feet were still shackled. Uh, fast forward, I guess I got my degree in th- when I was 35 and we entered pastoral ministry when I was 40. And because I don't, Tim was a pastor at that point. Yeah. Tim became yeah. a pastor before that he was in education ministry. So fast forward to the first, and I don't remember exactly when it was. I know it was somewhere between the ages of 40 and 42. I have no idea when it was. Um, And I'm a pastor's wife. And there's a lot of internal pressure. And external. And external Mm -hmm. pressure. Some of it is, uh, some of it is actually more internal. People are a whole lot more gracious now than they used to be. Mm -hmm. However, there's internal pressure to be perfect. And I was standing in my kitchen and all of a sudden it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, your perfection is keeping me at arm's length. And that floored me because that is not what I want. Mm -hmm. I do not want Jesus to be at arm's length. And I can see, I mean, this is possibly beyond the scope of this podcast, but I can see God's faithfulness in my life from the time I was probably three years old. Mm. And I know that he has never left my side. Every tragedy, every trauma, every fight, he has been by my side and I was keeping him at arm's length by being perfect. Because he doesn't want me to be perfect. 
He says to me, I will be perfect for you. Mm-hmm. Just come to me because I want you. I don't want perfect. What I, I find it interesting that in, in a, in a moment, first of all, thank you. <laughs> yeah. What a beautiful um, picture of the covenant right yeah. there. Um, but I can def. I, it is it is incredibly ironic every time. It never ceases to amaze me how ironic it is that um, the more you try to be perfect, the f- in order to earn God's approval or, or stay in His favor, it almost seems like the further you the go further from you it. get away, you end up getting away from yes. Him. It just always it's this weird self not self fulfilling prophecy, but almost I would almost say self defeating self sabotage yeah. self. It's exactly that's mm-hmm. what it is, and um, I want to at this point. I'm interested in how you got from Holy Spirit says that to this, what you just shared now. How did you get from, you know, feet being shackled and the Holy Spirit whispering that to you Mm -hmm. in this moment of pastoral family and and all these internal and external pressures to be perfect to the, to this moment now where you can say, I see God's faithfulness there. And, um, and you're able to express it in this sort of way. Um, my dear friend, while we were at this church where this experience happened, um, introduced me to Beth Moore and we went, she took me to a convention that Beth Moore was doing that was specifically for pastor's wives and, um, women in ministry. For half a second, I thought he, she introduced you to Beth Moore, and Beth Moore took you to a conference. Yeah, I was like, I, for wow, half a second, you, you no. met her in person. No. Like, okay. That would no, be no, no. Karen. Uh, Karen yeah, took me no, to I know. a Beth Moore really conference. Funny. It, was, it was a moment of like, <laughs> wait a minute, whoa. No. This, this, <laughs> Beth Moore took you to a conference where Beth Moore was speaking. <laughs> She's like, please sit right here. Yeah, I'll be exactly. back you in a moment. Extra. Goes up on stage. No. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you, so you go to this Beth Moore conference. So in this conference, I don't remember all the details. I do remember that she asked us to do a six, six word before and after. And the, the before for me had the word was kind of like Mary Poppins ish, practically perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was very, and it was like being tied up in perfection. It it was very alliterated, like alliteration. It was beautiful and whatever. It was very poetic. And then, and then through the process, I really felt the call that God was saying, I don't want you to be perfect. I want you to be real. I need you in your church to be real, to be authentic, be perfectly you to be the mess. No, I don't like the word perfect (laughs) to be the mess that you are. Mm. Um, and, and that has been really, I mean, that's, that's the challenge (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Cause it's hard. Yeah. It, it is not easy. And that's where, I guess if you're going to say the reconstruction of my faith mm-hmm. was, that's the reconstruction was to see Jesus, not from this. If you don't, then I'm not going to love you mm-hmm. to baby. Come here. You don't have to worry about a thing. I want you. Mm-hmm. And so in the last, well, I'm 52. So in the last 10 to 12 years, that's been the reconstruction mm. to see God, to see Jesus through the power of the Holy spirit, transform my view of who he is. Hmm. And by transforming my view of who he is, that transforms my view of who I am. Hmm. And that's extremely empowering and very scary. And and obviously like this means that you're, um, you're changing habits, you're changing decisions, you're changing actions. And that in itself has ripple effects throughout, oh, right? Cause you're not doing the same things you were doing new, before. New. So how, I guess, how did that trans or how has that transition kind of played out? Has there been awkward moments? Have there been um, moments where someone expected something and you had to tell them, yeah, I'm not that way anymore? Um, Well, I do tell people, as I have done here, that I don't do perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a long time, like I don't use the word in my vocabulary because our our language defines us. So I don't use the word in my, Mm -hmm. I took the word out. Yeah, it communicates Um, things. I also, um, 
will say or have said in the past, Jesus is perfect for me. I don't need to be perfect. Um, what that has looked like. It's really hard. It's just kind of like a mindset. So I'm not really, I'm not really sure what that looks like to other people. Yeah. What I can do is tell you what it looks like in my life. The, the, my experience in the church that I connect with Mm. is that it's a very conservative church. um, And much of those conservative ideas, I don't hold on to them anymore. Mm -hmm. I at 51 got my ears pierced. Mm. Now there are plenty of people in my church who have to wear jewelry. That's fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't have a problem with that, but at 51, to have a conversation first with my husband, because if there would be anyone that I wouldn't do it out of respect, I would not have, if, if he had said, I just can't, that that's just too hard for me. I would say not a problem. I will not do it. And, and he said, they're your ears. So Mm. go ahead. And and then he shared concerns. He was concerned with how people would view me. And I, and I love that and respect that because he Mm. wants to protect me from being hurt. Um, but I, I did have a conversation with God and I really felt in my soul that God was saying, I don't care about your ears. I care about your heart. So that is one way that it's kind of manifested itself outwardly is that um, I'm probably a little more obvious than I used to be. (laughs) (laughs) I probably uh, work hard at caring other about other people's opinions, which is hard because I, I'm very sensitive to criticism and yet I put myself out there to be criticized. Mm -hmm. Um, Welcome to podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so that, that would be the, I mean, that's the quickest thing I could, yeah. that's how it would really manifest itself. Well, and that, that plays into my next question, um, which is, and you're, you've partially answered it now, but you say, you know, Jesus says, I want the real you. I want the, um, I don't want this, this, you trying to be perfect. I want mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So the question then becomes, who is the real Kim now? Right. Mm-hmm. What are the... And I hope you understand what I what I'm asking there. Um, not therapist, not wife, not. Um, but how do you see yourself now? Um, and yeah, what are some of those things that now are a part of your life that were not before? Honesty hmm. with myself. Honesty with others. It is freedom. Um, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not let yourselves again be burdened by the yoke of slavery. I think that's what it says. Mm -hmm. Galatians five, verse one, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me is not without effect. Mm. That is my life. The ashes that I have are now beautiful. I do not wear. Well, sometimes I'm lamenting, but I wear a garment of praise and I have had the oil of gladness poured on my head because that is what God has promised me. Mm -hmm. And had I stayed where I was, I wouldn't have that. I wouldn't have that. Um, there is a song, uh, plum. That's who sings it beautifully broken. Mm. That is Kim Cove. Kim Cove is beautifully broken. Mm. It almost reminds me of the verse where Paul says, you know, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Earthen. I'm a cracked pot too. Well, (laughs) yeah, but the the, the, the beauty of that, that illustration though is, is if you have glory, if you have this light in it, the Mm. more the cracks are, the more light's coming out. Mm. Mm. It's almost like if you just patch it mm. up, you can't see what's mm. inside. Yeah. I, I want to um, go back to a question that you asked about how my life is different. And um, that's an outward thing. The, the, yeah. the jewelry is an outward thing, but I cannot, <laughs> I cannot not say this. I did not start digging into scripture 
until I let go of perfectionism. Mm. It is then that I started doing Bible study. It is then that I started reading the Bible. I, I did a lot of, because I didn't know how to study the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not about like reading it and what, I don't know, how, I didn't know how to dig. So I did a lot of Beth Moore Bible studies, like a lot of them. Yeah. And that's when, that was an internal, I mean, it's external too, but that was an internal change. What? Because before that, I was, I, you know, I had my seventh day Adventist stamp and I went to church and I was, and I was good. Mm-hmm. So I was good. I, I was going to say is some of the, the reluctance to get into the, the scriptures, possibly because of that perfectionism, you didn't want to discover more stuff that you would have to add into the litany of, I now must do this and do this and do this, or I'm not quite there yet, so you know, I need to catch there, up. There could be, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if that was some underlying motivation. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I did not grow up with, well, the model of the 10 years from 11 to 20 was a man who would spend an hour or two Mm. reading scripture, religious books and praying and yet would beat my mother. Yeah. So Mm. that's way too common. (laughs) Yeah. That is way too common. So, so, um, in my married life, I did have the modeling of a man who would get up and read his Bible every day. And you can't get rid of that early trigger. No. So I had to process what he was doing with what my early. Mm. And so I did have that modeling, mm. um, but I couldn't do it the way he did it. And my worship, quote unquote, was always music. Yeah. Until I, mm. that voice said, your perfection is keeping me at arm's length. And that's always interesting that one of the things I've discovered is that insecurities from past relationships, I may think that I'm over my old relationships or over certain things, but then until I, something triggers until it. I have a yeah. new relationship that isn't that anymore. And mm. then suddenly I'm confronted with this that I never realized. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a real kind of pivotal moment where I had to say, uh, where I had to say, this does not mean I'm not over what happened in the past to the point that I can't enjoy what I have now. It just means that I have a new I have a new thing that I need to face and grow mm, from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm grateful for a functional relationship mm. where, the, where this has been revealed to be an insecurity instead of something that's just normal. Mm. Does that make So, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and being able to identify that was, was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to ask this because there, there's, there's two practical questions I want to ask as, okay. we're, as we're kind of winding down. The first is this. Um, I'm sure that there, there's probably still, maybe there's not, uh, but still moments of kind of weakness or temptation to, to fall back into old habits. I don't know if that's the case. Or if oh, you're compl- yes. Yeah. So what of in course. those, mo- yeah. So what in the, in those moments, um, yeah, I don't want to say you're perfect at being imperfect, <laughs> um, but in those we moments, don't like the word. I'm literally, yeah. I'm going to have a, a certain form of maybe healthy trauma leaving this conversation yeah. because if you ever sat in those, in those classes in college, like speech classes where you have that professor's like, stop saying, um, and you hear it all the time. And then yeah. you can't, you, now I'm going to like, be super hyper aware of the word perfect. Yep. And be like, my, ah, I can't. My yeah. job yeah. is done. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, well oh, done. I can't use that. Um, anyway. <laughs> so what, um, yeah. How do you deal with those moments of weakness? What are, what is the, what are the steps that you take um, practically? Um, okay. So we fall into bad. We fall into previous patterns when we are stressed. So in moments of stress, which tend for me to be relational, Mm -hmm. uh, where that panic comes up, I will easily go into, I need to be perfect. Um, my, my panic mode, if Tim is, it looks like he's distancing himself, um, because he's thoughtful or he's working on a sermon or he's going through something deep that he's thinking about or his own, Mm -hmm. whatever that he's processing. My panic is like, I'm being left. That sounds like the silent treatment. Yes. Yes. It's very similar to the, it's not the silent treatment, but that's what it feels like. Exactly. Right. So then I start, uh, part of my perfectionism was to people, please do whatever it is. So Mm -hmm. I will clean the house. I will cook. I will do whatever to make him happy so that he'll come back to me. Gotcha. Um, I, and really self-awareness is the key. Mm. And I don't know how to teach someone self-awareness, but at 52 years old, I'm pretty self-aware. 
So I catch myself and I'm like, okay, wait. Okay. You can kick, cook the meal because he needs to be nourished and perhaps he needs a little extra loving mm-hmm. because he's in, having a hard time and he hasn't gone anywhere. Mm. So, so I can put that yeah. aside understanding where the anxiety is coming from. Yeah, learning to identify it and catch yourself in that moment. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily change. It it could be that the thing you're doing is kind of objectively a good thing, cleaning the house or cooking. Right. It's just about the mindset that now you're approaching that with. The perspective has changed. Yes, change the motivation. That's awesome. So the second question I do want to ask is um, to the person who is or has heard this, who has heard this conversation and realized, oh, darn it, I'm listening to a mirror. Um, If that, you know, for lack... I, it is, I failed creative writing. So what, um, what would you say? (laughs) Isn't there a mirror that you can do exercise with that tells you? Yeah. So you can listen to a mirror. Yeah, I guess it's fair. Or Snow White. Uh, Thank you for the same. such a poetic way to put that. Um, But yeah, for someone who's probably listened to this, they probably stopped it three or four times because they can't listen. They can't hear themselves any, you know, Mm -hmm. that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you say to that person who feels trapped in that perfectionism and, and um, is realizing that what what is something that you would tell them? I want to break out into song. Let it go. Let it yes. go. <laughs> yeah. The second episode where Disney will not That's sponsor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, getting out of oh man, there's so much pain. Oh my word, there's so much pain and perfectionism. Uh, what would I say? I see you. I see your pain. I'm sorry for your pain. And there's a way out. And you're not alone. And you're fine just the way you are. Kim, thank you for sharing your story, for being vulnerable with us and real with us. Um, mm-hmm. I had, this is the longest I've actually been able to really sit down and talk with you. Um, and I have really, really appreciated this conversation and my respect has grown for you immensely. Um, so I just want to thank you for the courage that you've had in sharing this in such a public f- setting, though podcasting can sometimes feel like it's not that public. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Um, but thank you. And, um, I just know that Henry and I are both praying for you and, and we're grateful that you're in our lives. Um, and you are someone even who, even in the, the short conversations we have had, um, you have helped me feel seen and that's been a good thing. So thank you. Um, Henry, I don't know if you want to add anything there before I close this out. I mean, it's, it's just beautiful. Just again, thank you. Um, thank you on a personal note for the blessing of God. You've been in my life. Um, there, there are many things even in my life right now that are going on that I know I would not have been in a healthy place to be able to experience, to, I would have still been so far deep in the weeds, I couldn't have found the joy. Mm. And it's not that the weeds are gone, Mm. but I now know how, like you said, how to, instead of having both arms hugging my weed, I can now keep the weed in one hand and the joy the weeds, the, the weeds, the in weeds in one hand. Yeah, like the weeds in one hand. So thank you. <laughs> the weeds. Um, we're recording this from Colorado. Yeah, that, there you go. That You're joke safe. was smoking hot. Okay, uh, anyway, but yeah, don't get out of joint. So my <laughs> wow, we just uh, went. Right. My point was supposed to be. I'm just. Uh, I thank you for the blessing you have been to me personally, and I know many others um, for. The advocacy you do for for your heart that takes that brokenness and and that beautiful brokenness and channels it into to others of us that are broken but don't yet know that we're beautifully broken. Mm. And I, I know that has brought me so much comfort and an ability not only to get back in, sounds Zen-like, but in touch with myself, but also with God. Mm-hmm. And, and I just want to, to publicly use a moment to validate that ministry in a time, both both therapy and in, in that sense, but also just your personal ministry as a person. Um, as a heart, yeah, and um, you're gonna make me cry, but it's just you, you mean a, you mean a ton to me. I know to Ryan as well, and it and mm-hmm. it, it means the world to have you in our lives, but also to be able to share you just this little bit of you with our listeners. So thank mm-hmm. you so much. 
Um, for our listeners, if you want to check out more of what Kim has been a part of, both in um, Joy in the Weeds and some other podcasts that she's been on, there are links in the show notes. Um, and if you want to reach out to us and give us some feedback, uh, leave comments, talk with us, share share your stories. Um, if you want, we'll happily pass on what you want to share with Kim. I'm sure that she would love to read them um, and cry right alongside you as you share. Um, and just know that you are safe to do so, and, and we will make sure to pass them on. Um, but thank you so much for listening, for being a part of this journey with us, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>